super cool. Okay. Um, so I want to introduce you. First of all, you are a you are a faith leader. Yeah. You also are a musician. Yeah. You sing and song, right? That's right. That's wild. You've gone on t- multiple tours, multiples of tours. Multiple tours. With your brother. With and without. With brother. and without your brother. Back in the day, it was a band with my brother. Since I moved here, solo career. Wow. Um, so, how did you like get into music? First of all, just how did you get into like? Is that something that you were like always with? By the way, I have like no like I didn't dedicate a second to think. I wonder what he's gonna ask. And I'm sitting here just, oh, yeah, this is amazing. It's great. Because I'm reading a book, again, like I'm rereading a book, called On the Way to Language. It's by Heidegger, philosopher, German philosopher. Very cool. He talks about how language discloses that which is not. Meaning, this is like the perfect situation because I had no idea what's going to happen. And we're just able to talk. So that's cool. So, so that's the beauty of authenticity. The beauty of authenticity. All right. Um, when did, what, when music, when, the, when I got. Yeah, like what, like, for me, it was yeah. like kind of like, pushed on me sure, and then yeah. it became like part of like this this is your character now yeah. right but like i feel like when i listen to you sing yeah. it like kind of flows from a heart oh space. that's nice of you to say that's kind um yeah no i think i think we if we sh- i know we share like a religious sort of upbringing right sort of mm-hmm. and, and there's a lot of imposition there in multiple areas so i i have experienced that i think um, if I think about music, there's like two angles. My mom used to play the piano and have a lot of music at, at home. So there's that, which wasn't imposed. It was just there, the atmosphere. Um, but then came the imposition of singing in little choirs back in the, you know, strict sort of religion days. You have to sing with a little bit and stuff like that. And, or have to do choose an instrument and, and practice. So there was all of that in the background. But I, I think, I think my teenage years where you s- slowly become conscious of your body and in your spirituality and and even though it's not clear at least you realize that there's something happening in the world and that you're part of that in some way so i think to me music clicked because in, back in the day my religion my spirituality was sort of uh, the glue that that held it together was through music so i would mm. always be sensitive and this is both religious and non-religious if you're able to say kind of music that it hits you it it, it 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 moved me in a particular way um that if now i sing from that place it's because it, it took a while to to find myself in that place which is both me and my body and that resonance with the world to some extent mm. that art sort of pushes you to that direction so back in those days when i was younger i used to write little poetry and then i started playing the guitar and then i brought those things together so it's like if you think chronologically yeah. it's interesting like the evolution of the whole thing and um and then i didn't take it seriously at first but then in time i just realized that whenever i played a song in whatever setting it moved people like and i was like oh there's like a mystical sort of spell sort of power to this thing right? yeah. that, that, that I'm not generating I'm just responding to something mm-hmm. so again it wasn't clear in my head back then but I said I have to honor this in some way I need to take this at least with this like the least seriousness right to honor that to some extent um, mm. so I think in time I took it more seriously to write and to think and not to write songs that just said whatever you know I, I want and then I just wouldn't write anything or, or, or songs if, if I didn't feel like I had anything to say or something that I was feeling within me in my history, my experience within my spiritual sort of sensibilities. 
Um, so that's sort of, I think, the movement from sort of the imposing to finding resonance with the world and articulating my spirituality then in my just now today, my just being in the world by means of, of music and art and writing and sharing and listening and still being moved by it all. Wow, that's really interesting. It's interesting too how you bring up like that, like um, it kind of happens for you. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that that's what they say like makes a great leader is like they don't ask to be a great leader, right? Please, I want to be like Moses, right? Yeah, like, yeah, please yeah. Don't, yeah. don't send me. <laughs> it's like the whole of Israel. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like it's really um, encouraging to hear that as someone who like desperately wanted to be part of the game, just like yeah. didn't know how. Yeah. Um, so when you think about like how that influences your relationship with deity or yeah. like god like what what kind of place does that music have for you you, yeah. you notice that it moved people yeah but it's like when i was growing up it was like oh be careful for music that moves you yeah because it's because like, there's something there's a spell it. there yeah <laughs> no yeah to me that was literally the opposite yeah I, I think when you share a song or something you wrote from a place of truth um and i think all music all art is truthful in that way because it mm. is responding to something regardless if the truth is like it's like it's like is beauty true sure is evil true yes so, so it's not like there's no moral value on, on the truthfulness right but all art is truthful in that sense that it mm. carries like a neutral orientation at first and as it comes out we can observe it and, and, and think about how it resonates around so that i think yeah, the opposite of, of your religious experience, meaning, oh, we have to be careful with that which moves. To me, that was the connection part. Right. And to articulate the whole. But if I'm completely honest, though, there was a moment in the beginning when I started playing guitar and singing where I felt like I was like, oh, before I started like writing for real, I just yeah. sang. I was like, oh, I'm a phenomenal singer. I wasn't. Like, I listened back to the tape. Like, this is like, fuck. But, but from like in your adolescent years and my adolescent, I said, oh, I'm going to become like this great singer. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do this. And then, because of, I, I think that plays into human insecurity. Like you want to have, be seen, you want to be embraced, you want to be honored. So that, so if I'm, I'm not, I don't want to say, oh, I never wanted it. Right. I did for, 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 for a few years there. The mm. I said, no, I, I want to be seen. I want to be recognized. And, it, and it's interesting that the universe just threw at me all of these disappointing, frustrating experiences to like place me in a position of, no, I'm crap. Yeah, I'm, I'm awful. This is as no... And, and sort of out of that, I can sort of connect to the moment where I started writing from... Started writing at first, and then from a place of truth, mm. experienced all that, and that's when it started connecting with people. Not because I had talent, not because my voice was something that... It was all crap. Right. Still, I feel like crap doing all of it. But I suddenly realized that there is sort of that response to something that is greater than myself, and that human experience of connection with others, that suddenly that brings a realization from my frustration and from the connection. That there's a there's a beautiful purpose to this, and this has nothing to do or very little to do with my talent or what I'm able to do or not do. Mm. There's a beautiful way of, of finding common. I wrote a song that sort of talks about an English, a song in English that, that sort of says, you know, where should I go? It's a play of uh, Wendell Berry's and the piece of Wild Things, this poem. And I'm like, mm. you know, it's very hard to connect with that poem in a time when there's fires and, and global catastrophe, global disruption or climate disruption and all the fears that we carry. 
So he says, oh, when I need peace, I'll go to you know the, the river. And, I'll, and then in Santa Fe, we can do that now. But last year, you couldn't because of the fires and all those other things. Right. So in the ending of that song, because I sort of explain despair throughout the whole song. But in the end, I write, um, but if you have heard all these lines and you feel the weight I feel inside, then maybe there's something here, a place that, we're all, that we all can meet. And, mm. and that's where we can go. So that's sort of, it's not my talent. It's not my writing. But I think... The writing, the, the art discloses something about the mystery of the universe and bringing together and creating that form of community by means of wow. music and art. So I think there's, in my trajectory, that sort of realization. And then I'm out of my head about people looking at me and it's more about me perceiving them and how can I connect with them in that way. So yeah. Wow. To me, that's you, you basically, it felt like you were describing contemplative prayer. Sure. Especially in that song where it's like you're there's just reaching at some point. Mm. It's not necessarily like where, who, what is gonna fix this. It's just reaching. Yeah. And that's what contemplative prayer I, is. I love the word reaching. Reaching I, I think the more I think and feel my place in the universe and my experience in it. I read a book recently called The Uncontrollability of the World that talks about that. That the universe is reaching. Hmm. That we are all reaching and we all desire that resonance that we can control. So I can write a song and play it doesn't mean people will feel it. Doesn't mean I'm gonna feel it. But we're all reaching. I love that expression. So yeah, we're all reaching. Yeah, we we really are. And especially in lieu of the conversation that you and I had over mm-hmm. text the other day, where I was asking you some like theological questions. Yeah, those are great. Well, and it stems from a place of like trying to understand kind of like taking the faith out of it, right? Sure. Like trying to like, what is it that I'm reaching towards? And the biblical narrative has a lot to say about what sure. God is like. And mm-hmm. you came, you helped me. You're like this catalyst for me mm-hmm. inside of that moment because you helped me to understand that it isn't necessarily the what, but it's like the who. Mm-hmm. Like what, like that's what the biblical narrative is getting at, is like the yeah. actions, so to speak, of deity. And our relationship with those actions. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, human historical, anthropological, you know, religion, if you talk about that word within that context, so take faith, take confessional sensibilities, take Bible, eliminate that whole thing, right? The, since the beginning of time, since the dawn of time where people were, everybody was had religious sensibilities, right? Whether it's the sun or the mountains or nature, which are all beautiful ways of responding to that mystery, right? Mm. Because we can, there's like a funny meme, I don't know if you saw, uh, where there's like a, it's like an old image or painting of like colonial times, right? Where the priests are coming in, the natives are there, and and the priest is like, if it wasn't for us, you would still be worshiping the sun. And the Indians are like, dude, the sun is real. (laughs) Like over Point in case, yeah. Where is God? Right? So anyway, so it's, I just find that good. So, so there's a lot of beauty in, in, in those responses. Um, what I find compelling, I would say, I think that's the word, about biblical religion, you know, Hebrew Bible, sort of Jewish tradition. Um, to some extent, many of those traditions compile there are part of uh, um, Islamic Muslim sensibilities as well. There's a lot of stories, yeah. or Joseph and everything else, um, in, the old, in the Hebrew Bible find also a place in the Quran um, and then Christianity obviously which sort of picks up on that tradition and moves it to a different direction um, I think the compelling thing to me is the image of God 
instead of humans reaching up or reaching out to sort of control that dynamic by means of some form of meritocracy, mm. I'll do something and then the gods will retribute, will give me back based on my merit, based on my action. So it's sort of human-centered. If I do something, then God will do something back. So if you take away the religious out of it, if you, any relationship is like that, it's a dysfunctional relationship, right? Mm. Like if the other is going to give me something or, or be kind or good to me based on my performance toward them, it's already a sort of dis, it could be a sort of a dysfunctional dynamic. So what I find compelling in the biblical sort of articulation of religion is that there's this opposite movement where God is the one who reaches, God is the mm. one who does and, and humanity is sort of left struck. It makes no sense. And you find sort of that, that, that confusion, that inability to come to terms with that from the Hebrew Bible to the New Testament. Mm. The Song of Miriam. Yeah, like, what is this? Like, yeah. What has happened? Correct. I mean, there's this... So I love the uncontrollability of that. How, how suddenly humans don't have control over how they relate to the deity or to the universe. Mm. It places you in a, play, in a sort of situation, a context of of openness, of vulnerability. And, 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 and I love that, that, that idea that, that religion, life, my story, so if we take religion out of it, is not necessarily under my control and manipulation. So it's not that I don't have any agency or part or responsibility. I was just reading before you came in a book called Scripture and Translation by Martin Buber in Rosenweig, and he, he talks about it how people avoid revelation, they avoid the scripture, they avoid the call there because we don't want re to be responsive. Because if mm. we are responsive, we have to be responsible. So there is mm. a human agency. There is a part to be played, but it's not attached or disattached to the initial movement of the deity toward humanity. And that mm. movement is always good. It's always kind. It's always aimed toward life. And it, it's a, So there's something compelling to me about that. Yeah, that's really interesting when you bring that into the context of community and that's been a yeah. big conversation that the church has been having. Yeah. And it's like, when you look at all the different dynamics of culture versus deity, there's like, you never get the same answer twice. Yeah. It feels that way. Even in like Islamic art, they don't have a representation of what deity is. It's just geometric shapes. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. That's powerful. That's crazy, yeah. right? Like, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's a question mark. But then like, why how is it then that we all have like these different representations of what God is or mm -hmm. what his character is like? And then I feel like there's no place at the table for anyone to kind of just like sit mm. because we're always focused on like, is this the right table? <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, I think a lot of that movement toward the question mark or trying to undo the question mark by means of some representation is something very human too. We want something to grasp onto. That's the appeal of idolatry, right? That we mm. find also in the biblical record. That this mystery, this question mark is something that now I can see and that I can embrace and that I can offer to. And it's like the sun, I can see it. So there's something, something there. So, so yeah, I mean, it says something about our desire to have a concrete representation. And much of what we have in the Bible are metaphors about God. I mean, my reading of the Bible, we have no idea what God is. Hmm. There's no that. To me, there's not, hey, everybody, this is what God is. This is who God is. I never say those words. Because every single biblical author, and then you can find the trajectory of that, especially as it relates to the culture of the time, are trying to describe or, or flesh out what God is like. So that's where metaphor kicks in. We can connect with that, and mm -hmm. even if we can see it. So from the old, from the Hebrew Bible, you have God is, is sort of a... a 
a warrior and a chariot crossing the heavens. So that's sort of like a projection, an, an idealization oh, wow. of who you want God to be like. And then Jesus, when he comes in, sort of embodying the image of God, at least in Christian tradition, he still will speak in God in terms of metaphors. So God is like a father. You know, this mm. experience of the kingdom is like a coin. So it's interesting <laughs> that even if God truly is found in this figure, he's still sort of right. moving toward that region of mystery, of, of metaphors, of language. So um, there's an author called Byung-Chul Han, um, German sort of Korean philosopher, who talks about the difference between information which is what we crave, the explicit, the thing that we can see, and, and there's no question, with knowledge, that knowledge has an inwardness, an erotic nature to it, a mystery that, mm. that we don't want. We want, and then he's, he talks about what society wants. Society wants the pornographic. They don't want the covered. They don't want the mystery. The God mm. who hides the face and shows up. They want the explicit, and that justifies the need for idolatry and our desire in society for clear information, I'm writing an article now on artificial intelligence and religion. You know, we sort of want that. We, when we, people go to church or whatever faith tradition, they're part, they want answers. They want the clear, the explicit. They don't want the mystery. They don't want yeah. the question, which is part of of religion. This is this is this is yeah. what it is. We do so. There's something I think to be said about that. That it's okay to to think and imagine what God is like in your experience, and that's sort of what I see in the biblical record. Um, and at the same time, being open to how other people embody or imagine that possibility as well. So there is room at, at least my table because I love to perceive how others imagine you know, yeah. that that kind of um, relation to mystery. Yeah, it is. And it, it feels like um, when you invoke that imagination, that feels very like otherworldly mm. that you... Um, once everybody comes together, it's like, that's what is God, so to speak. Like You mean the community aspect? Of it? Yeah. No, I mean, the community aspect, if you think about it, is the very undoing of the explicit. Because we want clear. We don't want, you know, not to know what's... We, we want to know everything that's behind the curtain up front. Yeah. So if that's true, then there's no room for trust. Because for there to be trust... There must be something behind the curtain, but I'm taking your word for it. There's a there's the possibility of trust within the erotic, within the mystery. But if we eliminate that, everything is clear, everything's out in the open, we don't have to trust each other. So I think in community we experience that negativity of the not knowing, of the story of the other that might be different from mine, and we're always placed in that condition where the question mark can 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 be formed within the multiplicity and the pluralism that we find within the story. So I think you're, you're right in that, that we experience God in community by means of the lack of the clarity, the explicit, but with the questions, with the idealizations, the, the, the stories that we all share. And I think that um, there's like a strong desire, like you said, in society right now, like I feel like that's how artificial intelligence manifests is because they want like a representation of pure knowledge of that's like right. like a north no a north cracks, pole. no, no yeah. frailties no no mistakes and that's like the last part of, of the article I'm writing how in a way in, a, in an interesting way AI technology discloses this human desire mm. to be just like that no mistakes no faults very knowledgeable very clear very transparent but that's not real 
it's artificial, right? It's, 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 it's mm. it lacks the human. <laughs> so it's, it's fascinating. The, the psychology we aim toward that because that's what we want to be like. But in that process, we miss the humanity of it all. I feel like when I look at history, I see the giant pendulum swinging. Okay. So I feel like artificial intelligence is like the pendulum swinging in such a direction that it's like, we have to know everything. Everything needs to be certain, concrete, because we've been let down for maybe a long time. Sure, 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 sure. There's like that, oh, the God isn't who I thought he was. Mm. Or like, you aren't what I thought you were. Yeah. Um, and so my thought process here is that the pendulum would swing so far up that we'd be like, oh, okay, like that's concrete, that's evident, and now that can allow me to be human again. Mm. Maybe. I would hope. Maybe, I mean... Yeah, I mean, work. There are so many angles to to, to think about this with you at this stage. I, I think back to German philosopher Martin Heidegger. You wrote an essay called on the on the question concerning technology back in the you know back in the day after the or during and after the Second World War. So we had no idea what would have become of the situation today. So his argument is that we are already caught up in a mood in a cultural dynamic. Mm-hmm. That almost imposes itself on us, right? The, the mm. modern technological sort of where we see one another as, and the, the expression he uses is standing reserve, as something to be used, as something to be manipulated, mm. something to be ordered because of these sort of modern capitalistic sort of sensibilities. So, for instance, you take somebody who is working online with content creation, right? He's going to look at the world, maybe him or her, they. And see everything as content possibility. So that's sort of the framing that he talks about. Where every relationship, every experience, and the world itself becomes standing reserve for utilization. It's almost inevitable. It's almost like we're destined. There's no way. And in fighting, even in the fighting, we're caught into. So that would put a question, right, into the pendulum. Are we able to to have it swing Mm, back? So that's one of the questions that he raises. But I do find beauty in what he's writing because he says that when we experience that extreme in the extreme is precisely the saving power Mm. which is being conscious of that frame being conscious of what the technology of what technology arises around us what they disclose about our presence in the world our relationship to the world so there's something to be said about that i think the desire to go back to the humanity is precisely i think you're right a form of questioning the extreme, right? Mm. I see where this is leading, and there's like a nostalgia, right? That that we mm. might have never experienced. It's almost like a future coming into the yeah. like or path. So there's like a, a a vortex of whatever happening that places us in that atmosphere of of, of reminding or raising the possibility of humanness again. And, and in my article, I quote. Another article that I wrote this, that I read this week, that was written a few weeks ago, actor Justine Bateman, brother of that other Bateman guy that's on the funny comedy show, so his sister, um, she writes that Hollywood is going toward AI and writing and movie production, and she's saying that people have been already conditioned to experience that, and then her conclusion is, and therefore this is so because we are losing our humanity. Meaning, mm. we're, are we able to question? Are we able to go back to a form of humanity? And what is that like? I mean, what yeah. does that look like? So, important questions to be asked for sure. Yeah, like how would you... I feel like at some point, it's forever altered. Yeah. 
like you there's no going back like it's like that singularity perspective that scientists talk about heidegger will talk about this disclosure of being this is what it's manifesting right now whether it's true i mean everything is true everything is truthful in the sense that we talked about before but whether it's flourishing whether it leads toward life toward humanness or toward extraction manipulation Mm -hmm. ordering and consequently ecological and, and you know global death yeah so it's part of that movement. Every everyone is disclosing constantly the modes of being. I'm using Heideggerian language. That movement is neutral, but how it fleshes out and comes into being is what needs to be questioned. Is it a misinterpretation? Is it a proper interpretation? So, what will society be in 100 years from now? 150 years from now? What kind of modes of technology and disclosure will be there? Will we learn to some extent as humans? Mm-hmm. you know about our relationship to the world that native sensibility that has been around us since forever right that respect that honoring mm-hmm. or will we always be within the modern spirit of taking ordering you know securing profiting and all that other stuff so those are questions and one of the, in writing the article one of my questions is do we have agency or are we just caught up in that flow mm-hmm. and is our responsibility just a question how do we go back to our humanness those are questions I have. I have no answers. Yeah, but I do think art has a role. Art. Heidegger talks about it. Art is sort of the movement of creation, of poetry, of language, of literature, of music. Of that can be a mode of questioning the modern technological sensibilities and creating technology, art, and all those other things in a different mode that reveals a different response to being. Hmm. Yeah. We're going in the deep end of the pool here. Today. I know what's like what. <laughs> um, there's a there's a level here of um, like it's almost like the mystery is this like safety net that mm. everybody can reside and like be part of the conversation. Yeah. But is it's it? like any time that you look, especially in history, when there's one person in power that knows everything, yeah. that's when they're able to talk about what you're describing is like mm. there's like this abuse of power sure. and there's this like. Um, I don't know, like, what, like, so, going back to, like, the whole art thing, like, yeah. it seems like um whenever there's, like, a really awful, um like, somebody in power, I can't think of anyone right now, but, like, they get rid of all the art, right? It's, like, it's almost, like... You know, those fa- sort of fascist sensibilities, yeah. there's a lot of that, yeah, there. Um, yeah, it's, in- it's an interesting question of why, right, that would be sort of the mode. I mean, my son was reading... Sort of Fahrenheit or five one, mm. which is sort of that dynamic, right? Where fired people are like destroying books, right? So that society yeah. can function in a particular way. So that that's an interesting connection that I that I never thought of, which is um, when when maybe the modern technological sensibilities are brought to an extreme, it's almost like it's destroying everything that causes resistance to it, and resistance has always been in the in the in the realm of the arts, right? Where you can't have control where you can't have manipulation where it just is and it's disclosing those beautiful things about being um, that should always be um, in society in culture uh, that create culture and in those sensibilities so yeah and i love having conversations you just said like we're getting to the deep end and everything but like for me it's like i don't want to hear a story i don't want to like know something new unless i know how it translated into my like everyday life well of course but then we cannot consider life superficial right 
I mean, if we're going into the deep end and then making connections to life, it doesn't mean that we're being in, or you know superficial. It means that it just as we go back into that question, it just means how deep and meaningful is this whole thing that we call life? You know, in the simplicity of it, in the yeah. commonness of it. So I find that to be extremely profound. That once we have those conversations in the deep end, we have a better clarity to understand what this whole thing is all about and how deeply meaningful it all is. Yeah, because it pushes me to want to be a better son. Sure. A better brother. I'm with you. And so it's like, um, when you have these conversations and you're writing this article, how does that translate into you being a father, being yeah. a husband? I mean, I, I think one of the beautiful things is that in writing something like this, and Heidegger talks about this beyond, it's a beautiful where he fleshes it out. And then all the philosophers that came after, you would love Merleau-Ponty, by the way. Okay. Who sort of picks up on that tradition, connects it to the body, you know, what right. this, what the being this, what, what, yeah, so how our body responds to that mysterious movement of the world. Um, so there's a be- there are beautiful things there. I mean, one of the ways I can answer your question, the commonality of life, you just are amazed at the little things that happen. At least I have, I have two kids. So the art they create, the songs that they write, the things that they're doing, that, that shows, it's like the little, in the midst of the destru- destruction, they're like little buds of beautiful possibility of... Mm. of that maybe the next generation will get it and we'll and we'll, we'll move to the world in a different way and it's not that we don't have that responsibility now but there's like a hopeful yeah so that's sort of one immediate connection that i have mm. i look at my children i look at what the, how they speak how they process ideas what they disclose about their perceptions of the world and maybe there's something there yeah so a greater sensibility for that um so I think that's one of the things. Second, maybe is our responsibility, right? Within a world that is conditioned by modern technological sensibilities that inframe, that make everything stand as, you know, standing reserve, as I said before, in the language of Heidegger. Um, how can I be a contradiction to that? How can I embody mm. a contradiction? How can I be sensitive to that? So not only in my role, but also in, I love activism because of this, so that we can also be a question or question the things in the movements of society as well and, and discern if those movements are aimed toward life and human flourishing or death extracting manipulation mm. all those things so maybe three answers there children uh my 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 role and my purpose in in, in having a say in, in what i'm doing and then questioning what is done around me as well mm. so all those three pertain to everyday life yeah and they do yeah. And it really does, like, um, it allows you to, like, take a second to look at what you're creating in the present moment Mm -hmm. while also having that responsibility of thinking about what's going to happen next, but that still evolves from that present moment. Yeah, we're disclosing constantly, responding to the essence of technology we're being. Oh, yes, exactly. And so it's, like, for me, like, doing what I'm doing now with the storytelling and this podcast is to offer an alternative mm. to like a very fast paced like um, content creation. Right now, that's a that's a huge topic, especially at my sure. the school that I go to yeah. is a media school. Okay. And so the conversations like, what are we going to do with AI, with content creation, with art? And mm. so like it, it feels like there's a level of capitalism mm. and creativity where it's just like pumping it out. I mean, I had a, a, a singer-songwriter wrote me from Michigan today. Wow. I'll read. That is exactly <laughs> what you're saying. Let me, let, me, let me tell you exactly what he wrote and how... Because and how it, it's exactly what you said. It's, what a mysterious, beautiful thing is happening right now. Right. Because it connects literally. He says, this is more of a rhetorical question, uh, but do you ever... 
just not feel like writing or not feel inspired. This mm-hmm. is another singer songwriter. Not so much writer's block, just lack of motivation or desire or inspiration. I said, of course, it's very normal. Went a year without writing anything once. Both because of a lack of desire and writer's block. And he said, oh, what the hell? Why is creating, uh, you know, this way, you know, s- such a curse, you know? And then, then my response to him was, if creating is always facilitated, if it's always there, if it's just a, m- a mode of production, then we're not creating, we're just producing, right? We're just like oh, a wow. little machine. So I wonder, and I asked him, where these impulses come from, you know, to produce constantly and how different that is from creating, which requires a distance, which requires silence, which requires a pause, you know, and all these things. So he, you know, wrote more things, and, and I said, well, yeah, that's sort of the dynamic between technology and art, right? That we, we want to produce, produce in on one side, but in the other, what is art? I mean, is it, can it be founded in that? Um, so yeah, so that's sort of back to what you're saying, right? This push that we have in society, capitalist sort of society too, see the world as content possibility and then produce instead of create and not yeah. everything is so i love storytelling i love because in the end it's it touches on a particular way of fleshing out truth hmm. it has roots on the ground it, it it's embodied um so it moves away from that idea of because you didn't come in here giving me the questions that you wanted to ask or how the con- you wanted the conversation to go you just place yourself in a vulnerable open situation and here we are so there's a beauty to that that you can't emulate and even mm-hmm. if you could it's it, it takes away the joy of it knowing it wasn't real so it's like i was in egypt back in the day i'll just give you a story i'll tell you another story another one i, I was in egypt uh in this tour right of the archaeological tour hmm. so with me there's this other um, graduate student um, who used to like sort of dressed as indiana jones and he was he was like an egyptologist and like hardcore archaeologist i wasn't i was just there like with you know for, for different reasons but but he was there and he got he was so excited about you know the, the language, the, the hieroglyphs, the, the architecture, the, the culture, the whole thing, the whole thing. He was like immersed in that world. So once the, we were doing like a little uh, cruise in the Nile, really, there's a cruise that goes from north to south of Egypt and you go through the mm-hmm. Nile and you stop at these little temples by the river. So we stopped in one of those temples, we got out. And then I found like a hatch, right? That went into some underneath situation of, 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 the, of the, <laughs> the temple. <laughs> And I said, hey, I'm not going to mention it. I said, hey, I think I found a secret, you know, this ancient. And the, the eyes of the guy just like, oh, my God. And then he runs over. He goes down. And then he comes back up and says, oh, this is like a recent thing. It's just like a pipeline or something. <laughs> so that's sort of what I'm talking about. You know, we're pulled toward the realness experience. And I'm using the temple. that is going to put that historical worldly experience of realness and it's frustrating when in the end all those possibilities turn into be superficial or not real you know they're true but they're not real so i think there's something to be said about that when it comes to producing content in art and creation in different forms of reality or Mm. truthfulness that they convey so i think the push toward the production mode of things, the machinery, the industrial sort of, I never vibed with that. And I understand those who sort of write constantly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 
there's a guy, another story, guy came over to me one day and said, I gotta meet a guy you know, from a singer-songwriter. He wrote like 300 songs, you know, this year. And I'm like, that sounds great. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, they all must be phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, I don't get it. I mean, I, there's truth to that. It might be real, but I question that, that movement of machinery production like that and how different that is from when i study the mystics or i look at the life of jesus mm. i notice that there's like these great moments of silence mm. like even in in jesus's upbringing there's not very much said no like a gap yeah and so it's like i think not that that produces the muse for creativity mm. but i think that there's a moment to listen yeah um because it kind of like feeds that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And then kind of like going back to how the conversation started with um, like finding that, finding that um, balance between um, what God is and what God isn't and mm -hmm. having an answer and not having an answer, just having a question. It's like that, what you're describing with um, your friend finding the hatch, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, I think that there's like that thing where people don't want to find out that it's just... Just a hatch. Right? It's, it's a plumbing. It's like, dang, I thought this was really meaningful. Yeah. This thing called life. Yeah. And so like, there's this like fear kind yeah. of of like, of like I've found too many hatches, dude. Like there's no there's too much plumbing and no yeah no, no temple no yeah no um no yeah. ancient mystics very down with their like scroll of truth yeah. yeah yeah and so it's like it's really interesting how like art is really it I feel like art it really could be and is the catalyst for getting us out of this like very production mindset of like figuring it all out. I think it's a way. It's, I mean, for me, it is not only in creating it, but in experiencing it. Um, I mean, you know me, and, and we have common friends that sort of know how it goes. In the day I'm not feeling really well, I watch a movie and go to CCA and watch some foreign film or something that I know is made meaningfully because it's not part of the mainstream stuff. And right. Not that the mainstream stuff's not meaningful. There's a lot of beautiful things happening there, too. Um, but I like the little stories that nobody, that mainstream that people don't, don't get to see, that disclose the truth that might be so simple or so profound that hits you and in that place of I'm not alone you know there, there are people reaching back to your wording there's other other people reaching and trying to so yeah I think there's something to be said about art and bringing us back into that consciousness into that simple realization that in the end we are all reaching and trying to find resonance and being okay with the fact that we cannot produce it we cannot create it but we're always looking forward to experiencing it the next time Mm. Well, would you say that um, you find yourself naturally just like think about like what has naturally been coming to you is like in form of creation, whether that's music or um, also like it's an art to lead a flock, you know, it's sure. like an art to do these things. Like mm -hmm. what's what's like kind of like in your on your back burners when you're not having to be so present and stuff like that? Mm. Yeah. Well, I guess if I'm talking about the most recent, uh, it's been writing. I've been, I mean, I'm not one to write like articles or stuff like that. I have been five years here working, writing music once in a while. 
doing other creative and non-creative things to respond to the need or the call of the world or reach of the world by means of the need around me. That was the normal. But recently I've been reading a lot of philosophy again. I don't mm. know why. I just, I missed it, I guess, from yeah. graduate school. So I went back to reading these books. That's why I'm quoting all these philosophers yeah. that exist in my head. Um, in writing. And it's interesting because it's sort of the same mode as writing music. When I write songs, it's almost like I'm casting out a spirit that is haunting me and won't let me go. Certain. Mm. So when I write songs, it's like, okay, I can, I can breathe again. Mm. There, there's something that is moving me, troubling me, that needs to come out. And then a song comes out, you can sort of like breathe again. And when I'm writing this article, it's interesting that it was so unexpected. I opened my Twitter page and, I, and now Twitter has algorithms and throws a lot of stuff at your face that you don't, people you don't follow and stuff like that. But the algorithm knows it's going to like provoke me and, and <laughs> for all of us. The universe, no. knows. <laughs> the universe knows. So there was a tweet there that just hit me different about technology and religious religion and AI. And I was like, oh, my. and then my immediately my mind was like rushing with three different ways to or implications of what I just saw. So like, oh, it's like three. It's like three red flags. And I'm like, oh, and then that became sort of like a spiritual tension like i need to get this out so the last four days i've been like working for hours like there's no purpose <laughs> i could get shared with people i have no desire to publish it or yeah. those are the best ones though but it's like i need to get this out of my system and then i'm back to reading on the question concerning technology of how to, i'm like I, I need to remember these concepts again to make sure i'm seeing what i'm seeing so that's sort of where my mind has been create creative creationally whatever wise yeah and sort of flesh it because my mind, you know, as any other mind, races with these ideas. So I'm trying to cast them out by means of this. And today, I think I found a place where I can sort of draft five right now. Right. So step back and breathe a little. I was like, ah, okay, okay, I've, I've come to my peace with it. Um. So you've gotten to know me for a while, and you know that my brain like has, like, it always has like a dual. Like sure. it's always like two thoughts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, um, because. While I'm like really ready to have the conversation about how, about what we're talking about, what the AI implies, sure. there's this level inside of me where I'm like, like I'm like this is it, like this is like the next stop in human consciousness. It just feels like it offers a level of networking. Sure. That like um like uh Terence McKenna, I don't know if you mm. know anything about his stuff. He's like a psychonaut, mm. like done all this like research with uh psilocybin and okay. um uh indigenous oh cool yeah all the um like Icaros and all the different what's his name again terence mckenna okay i don't know him i'm thinking of two other authors that sort of touch on that same stuff but yeah different. uh he wrote um food of the gods okay he, he really good stuff and so um what i find really interesting about him is that he's like always ready to embrace mm. um whatever level of a technology that humans are manifesting sure. because he feels that it's like the catalyst for whatever's next. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so I can roll with that. Yeah. And so like, there's nothing that's not part of the plan, so to speak. Like there's like, that's if the earth was alive, it would be a manifestation of what the earth is. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying is literally what Heidegger would call this essence of technology, which is not technological. It's like this call, this revealing mm. that we're caught sort of like consciousness as you're fleshing out or what the author you just mentioned is sort of... So when I talk about AI right now, 
I can see problematic implications. So there's always that duality that you're pointing out. And that's why I mentioned the creative sort of poetic way of responding to that call that leads to technology that could be a function of AI. But there's always the danger. So, so those two things yeah. walk together. And both are part of that revealing, that disclosing that goes through our humanness and our creative, productive impulses, right? So yeah, I mean, for sure. I have no moral, initial moral judgments concerning the technology of AI. My role is sort of to follow what Harigad says, is to question and evaluate what comes to presence hmm. by means of that technology. So we can't say that AI is just one single thing. No, how are people going to use it? What is it disclosing about our humanness? So I pointed to some of the more problematic things, that the sort of this narcissistic sort of projection of our desires, faultless and everything. So there's that. That's obviously, in my mind, a negative aspect of it. But it doesn't mean that it can't be part of creation and poetry. I mean, there's another book that I forget the name now. Shoot. Mm. Um, that talks about it's sort of a futuristic, post-apocalyptic sort of dynamic where AI has a role and technology has a role in human global geopolitical dynamics. So people are not able, we've seen that human reason hasn't led anybody anywhere, so we rely on technology. Right. And it's interesting that basically what technology does in some of these stories, it's like a bunch of short stories. So for instance, one of these short stories, the technology leads to a greater perception, visibility, and embrace of trans people. So mm. it's like the AI is bringing the human sensibilities that humans should have in the first place. So again, what are we talking about when we're talking about technology? What is it revealing about consciousness, about the world, or about being? So these are just different vocabulary words to describe maybe that same movement. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm very open to all of these possibilities. I think my mode of being is always criticism and, and be not in a negative sense, but just yeah, cautious conscious sensitive to what comes to presence with all of that yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah keeping an awareness of it because like how we started the conversation yeah there's definitely a desire to remain in control of it and yeah. i feel that um which is also standing reserve because we want to control it we want to use it right yeah it but is. the lack of control is interesting yeah it appeals to me yeah. there's like a there's like a balance there that's necessary yeah yeah, yeah. And especially because when I interact with artificial intelligence, because mm -hmm. I have the Snapchat just released theirs, mm -hmm. and then I've chat, I've chatted with uh, GBT, mm -hmm. um, and there's one other one that's like high profile right now. Okay. I, anyways, it always it's like um like whenever I was a kid, like um, my parents would ask me, "Are you happy, Zivian?" Like I was just like really young, like mm -hmm. I can't even remember these conversations. I was mm -hmm. so young. And uh, I, I would say, Mom, are you happy? Dad, are you happy? And they say, yeah, we're happy. And it's like, then I'm happy too. Mm. And so, like, whenever I'm talking to chat or GPT or whatever artificial intelligence I have on the day, it's always asking me, well, are you happy with how things are going? It's like always pushing it back on me. Mm. Like, there's not a lot of guidance there, I feel. Mm. Mm. Um, and that's why it makes me feel kind of, like, sad. Not because... Um, not because of the good that it's doing, but I feel like it's just being used like a, like a machine <laughs> to pump up, I'll, I'll pump out all these things, like to type my essay, write my article, yeah. do my things. But it's like, like I, I try and ask it all the time just in case it becomes self-aware one day. Mm. Like, how are you doing? Like, I love you. Like, what's going on? Mm. Mm. And we have some really meaningful conversations that stem from that. Mm -hmm. And so it's like... Based on the information it gathers about you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, 
do you do you get a chance to chat with no. any of it? You don't. Do you have an interest? Not necessarily. No. Not right now. Not right now. I could change my mind tomorrow. It's a very Tiago thing to do. I would just highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know I've heard that before. And it's unfair, maybe. I mean, I recognize my um, hypocrisy in talking about it. And like I said, I'm open to the goodness and the problematic aspect of it. Um, but that comes from a place of not using it from just what I see, what people are sharing. Um, but no, I think in, in that sense, I I don't know where I would place myself. I, I think... I think I came to sort of my technological quota, if you, if you will, when that Pokemon Go came out. Oh, goodness, yeah. No moral judgments here. Right, it's no, all good. I get it, yeah. But, just <laughs> let me paint you a picture. However, I'm in Sao Paulo, right, Brazil. It's a beautiful park. Um, Parque da Climação. Mm. So, kid, my kids are running. You know, wind is like kissing the trees, and it's a beautiful, sunny, you know, wonderful day. There's a, you know, like a lake and laughter and all these things. And suddenly, right, out of the blue, it's like this pack of 50 people with their cell phones in their hand looking for Pokemons, which if we're going to use the terminology that we've come together here today, it's like you're trying to open the hatch, right? They're, they're, yeah. they're going for it. So I'm not here to dispute the meaning of that experience for them, which can be a meaningful thing, real thing. I'm not here to have any moral judgments over the goodness or the evil if it discloses, you know, this, this positive human flourishing aspect of technology or the extracting manipulation of things. I'm not here to make any of those evaluations or even do what Harika said, we need to question what comes to presence now. I, 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 here is just, I'm telling the stories to, to describe maybe what I felt in my body. Mm. That there was something extremely incompatible with the nature of the world and all of that to me. And as you said, that could be a revealing of something about the world or consciousness or everything else. I'm very comfortable with that possibility. But to me and my body, it just felt strange. No, it does. Yeah. Strange. Um, with the kids laughing, with the beautiful experience and that disruption. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of what I feel about all the technology that has come ever since. I don't remember what year that Pokemon Go thing came over. And now my kids talk about Pokemon all the time because of school stuff, but... That strangeness is always with me. So I, it's almost as if I'm the old guy who's going to be like, you know, in the corner with a, with a Ford, you know, without the, 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 the cars that plug into the wall, you know, trying to hold on to some nostalgic, basic, and I'm not going to go into the morality of the Ford who pollutes the world. Right. So I'm not going to go there. But still, you understand what I'm saying. That mood, I get it. I'm talking about mood. That mood of of simplicity, of um, native sort of sensibilities that and before it doesn't make sense, but at least that form of connection to nature and yeah. to the world and to people around me without the, the bridging that that kind of technology facilitates and the meaning of what that bridging is, you know, is like.
is or should be. So that's sort of where I am. That's why I have questions. I feel that vibe. Yeah. I definitely um, suggest I'll maybe I'll look look at a couple of uh, Terrence McKenna sure. videos to send you because be he nice. talks about yeah, how important it is to integrate technology with nature that it shouldn't supersede it mm. and that how important it is to preserve language and that it could help us preserve language interesting and and, and the and the cultural implications that language has because as soon as there's some people that believe as soon as we lose those um indigenous voices those languages mm. that the world will just implode that's amazing that reminds me of a lecture i saw by um a tutor here at saint john's college Sarah Davis, she's the new dean of the college, and she presented a paper on, she's an anthropologist, and she talks about, on the question concerning technology of Heidegger, in talking about Corsica, you know, the, the people they're trying to preserve their traditions, and so she has fascinating insights as to how that plays into both this creational, poetic, preservation, flourishing aspect, but how that also flirts with some form of control and ordering of the so you have both of those things happening there so yeah it's it's a it's a, a beautiful beautiful thing and there are a lot of questions related to that but i would look forward to reading and seeing what um the author you're talking about yeah terrence you know, talks about yeah for sure um i feel like it's time for us to wrap up um if you could um just talk briefly about how important it is to um, remain connected to your uh, to what you're doing inside this present moment. There's you alluded to like your kids and what they're doing and how mm -hmm. they're. If you just want to end with something along those lines about being in the present moment or something. Mm. Being in the present moment. I guess I don't think I have an answer. I can just share maybe questions I have or feelings I have. It's interesting. That we went up to the mountains yesterday with the kids and um and it's interesting because when i'm up there there's the tension there's a tension of what time am i getting back so i can you know drink a coffee somewhere and read a book you know in, in civilization and then the not embarrassment but and not guilt but the strangeness of that feeling when you're in a place of deep connection to mm. what i said before things that are actually real so i'm expanding on my hypocrisy here toward the end so I guess to be kind to ourselves within those tensions and those dynamics because we can't be fully native and we can't be fully technological. There, there's a, a tension, contradictions, embarrassment and guilt and inadequateness to that whole movement that I think is part of who we are as humans too. Mm. So I'm trying to figure out how to be not only sensitive, sensitive to those internal tensions in my body, how it feels throughout all of these spaces, but to be kind to myself in the process in the process of adjusting to a fast changing you know, world and our place in it, how to slow down, how mm. to move with it, and having the wisdom to know when to do which. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you for this conversation. Really looking forward to going back and editing it and like checking it all out seeing what kind of like comes up for me again because like i was very in the moment in the present moment yeah you never cease, cease to amaze me because i mean this was wonderful the way you constructed it the way you responded to it and how it you know came together i mean it's mm -hmm. a joy for me to have this experience yeah